Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Imagine if Disney designed an animal rescue center. You'd just have to go and see, wouldn't you? That's what I recommend from the interview I'm doing today. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most interesting people working on the most interesting things here in the greater Sarasota area. I started this podcast because I wanted to meet new people. And then I thought, why not share what we talk about with people like you? To me, if you really want to understand the community you live in and appreciate all it has to offer, then listening to each other's stories is an absolute must. Every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll hear from artists and authors, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and many others share who they are, how they got into their line of work, and what they're excited about right now. I'm very happy to welcome Rob Oglesby, director of Nate's Honor Animal Rescue. In today's episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Rob, why he got involved with Nate's Animal Rescue, the services they provide in normal times, and what has changed since Hurricane Ian hit. Their greatest needs right now, why you should visit, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. It's my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Rob Oglesby, Development Director for Nate's Honor Animal Rescue. Welcome to Sarasota Stories Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have you on. And as you and I were talking before I hit record, I've been interviewing some of the frontline organizations that are dealing with Hurricane Ian. And uh, based on your Facebook and the needs that you have, I know that those needs have escalated dramatically since Ian hit. And we're going to get into all that and how people get plugged in can help you out and whatnot. But we always like to start off with a little bit of background of who you are and how you got involved with uh Nate's uh, Animal Rescue. And even before that, I want to ask you, what is one thing that most people don't know about Rob? Well, I think the one thing that most people don't know is um, back when in the younger days, I um, played college baseball. So uh, looking at me now, you would never figure that. But uh, that's probably uh, one thing that would stand out. So, so was it for one of the major universities or? Uh, University of Southern California. Oh, good. Yeah, that's major. That's major, major. Yeah. My only baseball story I have is that on Father's Day, back when I was a senior in high school, I actually hit a home run on Father's Day. My father was in the stands and I was showboating so much I forgot to hit third base. 
The uh, pitcher steps back off, throws it to third base. They call me out. My father laughed all the way home. He says, you're a chip off the old block, son. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> all right. Well, baseball player. Well, so Nate, you, are, you're originally from the South, Southern California area? Yeah, I grew up in California. Oh, okay. I, lovely area. I know it well. Well, so how did you end up in, in Florida? And then uh, obviously, how did you end up working for uh, Nate's Honor, Honor Animal Rescue? Well, I went from California to New York area for 14 years, and we've been down here for 18 years. And um, we got involved as a family uh, with Nate's. It's all my daughter's fault, who's now in vet school at University of Florida. Oh, is that right? Well, so how did they get you involved? She wanted to, um, she's always wanted to be a vet. And she wanted to, um, she was taking an art class, a photography class at Ringling and wanted to take pictures of the dogs and cats and everything. And so her and my wife volunteered. That morphed into them running the website, running Facebook, my wife being the treasurer, me never seeing them. I started coming around in as much time as I had and helping them out with Nate's. And it just morphed into me becoming the president of the board and shutting my business down and doing this full time. It's interesting. I have a friend by the name of Chris Williams at Agento here in Sarasota and uh, kind of the same thing. He got very much involved with the Salvation Army. I guess he's head of the board there. So maybe he'll end up running one of those one day. But uh, well, so what did you what did you do before you got involved with Nate? We did a real estate evaluation nationwide for investment companies and banks handling foreclosed properties. Oh, wow. You're in the Sarasota. You're, you're in this area and you're not in real estate with that background? My goodness. Yeah, no, I had enough of that. We did that for a little over 20 years. So obviously Nate's is a labor of love? Yeah. Yep. It's uh, basically seven days a week, but um, wow, we love it. I mean, you, you go save a dog that needs you and then you see it walk out the door a couple weeks later with a family. It's full circle. You know, horrible, horrible beginning, great ending over and over and over again. So it's very fulfilling. Yeah, well, I, I'm a dog guy through and through. And growing up, we used to raise Irish wolfhounds. So we we, we had the property to, to do it. We lived on a 500-acre farm. And so you, you kind of needed that for those big dogs. But uh, no, I can understand how that would be a labor of love. So so we'll, we'll talk about um, some of the services that Nate provides. Well, we just um, opened a training center to assist the public. So everything that we're doing, we're in a major capital campaign. We're adding services to the community so people can retain their animals. Uh, we've just started the training center. So if people are having an issue, uh, they can come in with their dog and we can help them. So they keep the dog in their home rather than in the shelter. And then um, next year we'll be opening a vet clinic, affordable vet clinic to help people take care of their animals. Um, and then also both of those also generate revenue streams to help us support and save more animals. Well, that's very cool. So, so the training aspect, is that just where you provide a location and the support for outside dog? Um, and yeah, for the public's uh, dogs, we have a, uh, we've hired a great trainer. Um, uh, he's like a dog whisperer. So he, he meets with the people and gives them good pointers and see what's going on. There's two major reasons that we get where people wanting to surrender an animal. It's not acting correctly which usually means that people don't know how to make them act correctly. Right. So they ha it has to be the dog and the people. You help the people understand what the dog is saying to them, and then they can um, both be on the same page. And I can't afford um, to, to take care of my dog and my dog's sick. 
So uh, those those are the two major reasons we get. So we're trying to fill that gap so that people will retain their hours. Well, that's great. That's great. So, so talk, tell us about the vet services then that, that you provide as well. Right. So that building, that front building with the vet clinic should be finished in probably March or April. That is uh, our next big hurdle to get that going. Um, and we're on an eight acre campus. So um, it's been a, a long, a lot of work, but um, it's coming up very nice. Is that where you're going to bring your daughter in to provide those services? Probably. It's up to her, but she has always wanted to be in shelter medicine and is in shelter medicine. So um, that's up to her. Uh, she will be graduating in a year, so it pretty much lines up. I think she should go work somewhere else first, though. Couldn't agree more. I have three daughters. Yeah, so. she needs to go work somewhere else and um, rather than come here directly, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Preview of life's coming attractions, you know. I, I, I'm i a little older than you, and I have three daughters, and uh, I would feel the same way, kind of establish their, themselves someplace else before they can work for the family business. So, yeah. well, so how do you end up, how do you end up receiving dogs? So, um, we go to all different kill shelters all over the state, all over Florida into, um, Georgia, uh, Florida euthanizes the third most animals in the country and Georgia's number four. So oh, wow. we an awful lot right here and with the hurricane Ian, we've had 26 dogs come from the Orlando area. They got flooded and then we had eight or eight others come up from Northport that there was some flooding issues. Really? But in, in typical, so in, so in typical season, when you're not dealing with hurricanes and whatnot, you just, you just have this outreach to kill shelters and you're just constantly reaching out to them. Right. We have, we've built some very good relationships and um, we have two transit vans and we have volunteers um, drive. Usually uh, we'll meet halfway with the people. Sometimes we go all the way up and, um, with the cost of gas and time and everything else, you want to make it as efficient as possible. So usually we'll do 30 to 50 animals at a time, um, fill the van with crates and stack them up. So at any one time, how many animals will you have on site? On site, we usually have about uh, 50 to 60 dogs and we only have a small cat area now. Right. We'll be a big cat wing in the front. So we have about 10 to 15 cats and then we have, usually 40 to 50 cats in foster and usually 40 to 50 dogs in foster as well. We do about 50 adoptions a week. So they're constantly turning over. Oh, wow. Yeah. The That's new incredible. setup will have about 110, 120 dogs on site and about 50 to 60 cats. So, so once you receive an animal, then what happens? I mean, you, you have to check their health and all that sort of stuff. Correct. They, the van pulls up to our intake building. Um, we have vet techs that, um, check all the animals out. We weigh them. We check them for parasites. We vaccinate them, um, make sure, um, depending on their vaccination history, it, some of our partners vaccinate um, and hold them for the two-week period so they can go right into our cottages um, for adoptions. Otherwise, they have to hang out in the intake building to make sure they don't break with disease. I will say I've not been to your location, but those cottages are incredible. Uh, where did that idea come from? Well, so didn't, you know, real estate background, didn't know anything about animal rescue, asked all the experts. The first thing they said was house them in small groups. And the next sentence they said is, but you can't because it's not cost effective. Uh -huh. So I, I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. So I was golfing one Sunday morning, came home back in the day where you had a newspaper delivered, the Sunday paper. 
And in the real estate section, there was these tiny homes that were built in um, Port Charlotte. I'm like, that's exactly what we want to do. I called them up. I was in their office on Monday morning. Um, the gentleman's wife actually was a vet tech. I said, here's what I want to do and why. Den size for a dog um, recommended by the Kennel Club is four foot by five foot. So we designed it so you can fit three on each side of the cottage. Um, and they have indoor-outdoor access the whole time. It, by putting six in one cottage in a small group, we can have 50 or 60 dogs out there and it's quiet, silent. If you, any other way you house them all in one big room, it's loud as heck. Yeah, Dogs can hear everything, but they can't see anything and it stresses them out. So this, they can see everybody in their cottage. They can see what guys in other cottages across the way. It helps socialize them. It helps keep them relaxed and less stressed animals are less sick animals. So it's just, it, it, it's fresh air and we have solar panels with fans. It's just, it's, it's real. Nice I, I'm, I'm on your website right now. And, and when I saw that, I was just gobsmacked because you have all these multicolored little cottages that are, you know, right next to each other. And I see that there's several different, you know, like you said, several different rooms in each one of these. I, I mean, that's an extraordinary idea. Was this your idea to, to uh, construct these like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bought the first one and built it. And then um, we had donor um, do all the rest. The dogs love it. People love it. It's, it's family friendly. So kids can walk through and it's a good experience. So our whole right. mission is to change how people view rescue one family at a time. So we are already having... The kids, when they came with their families, now that they're in their 20s, are coming back and adopting friends. So the model's working. They're, we're teaching people that rescue is good. Rescue is fun. It, it doesn't have to be a horrible experience. Well, so what, did you, what do you think of the cottages? What theme do you think that is? <laughs> so what we went with was Key West meets Disneyland. You know, that's exactly, I mean, I was thinking like South Beach, I mean, because I loved all the multicolors. I, in a previous business life, I did a, a supermarket down in the Caribbean and we used kind of the Art Deco, the brightly colored South Beach type uh, theme that you have there. But no, I see exactly where you have that. And I mean, it's just it very eye catching, uh, very eye appealing. I can see where the dogs would like it as well. Um, and I can see where if you brought groups in, I don't know, do you, do you bring schools in or retirement well, communities in to do, and do tours? We, yes, we do tours all the time, Girl Scout groups. Once we have the front building, we have a big uh, event space. We'll be having school school field trips, tours, that everything. We also have a, a children's education room that's interactive where they can read x-rays and, and view microscope and everything. And it'll be constantly changing so they can come back multiple times and see different things. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. You are changing the model because I, I remember as a kid growing up in my home hometown in southwest Ohio, going out to, to you know, the, the, the dog pound there. Mm -hmm. And it's just gray, gray and, you know, cinder block and it smelled and, uh, you know, the and dog it's loud and it's scary. Yeah, we want kids to embrace it. And, and so, um, again, that's my daughter's fault. She has done this since she was little. It was her idea to do the interactive, almost like a museum children's education area. The lobby is going to be a lot of fun. Um, the doorway to the kids' education is is like the cutout of a dog. So there's no doors. Just very, door. very cool. Very, so very cool. Yeah, well, you're definitely changing the model there because that is, I, I see the Disney influence as well. 
And so we're going to give uh, all the contact information at the end there so people can come by when it's when you're ready to do that. But all this costs money. And so you uh, you've made a lot of you made a lot of um, progress right now, but you have a capital campaign that's going on. Let's talk about that. How far have you progressed and, and how much further do you have to go? Well, so um, started off as a $10 million campaign. Of course, um, we, we started and we immediately went into a pandemic. So great timing. And uh, we've been in construction for a little over about around two years. There's all the price increases, everything else. So the project's turned into a $12 million project. Oh, my. And um, we're a little over $9 million raised. So we're, we're getting there. Um, it's kind of like catch 22. As soon as you think you get hit and get the line, they move the line. So yeah, um, yeah. we're getting close to the 10 million and there's the price increases. And um, so we're getting there. We raised the whole property up two feet. We used to flood. Now all the water just goes into these lovely storm drains and disappears. Um, actually disappears into our large water feature with a fountain in the back. That's a quarter mile walking trail for the dogs. So um, it's, it's eight acres. It's coming out beautiful and people should come by and see it. Well, I, I can see your real estate design uh, uh, talents coming through on that. So, 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 where do your where do your contributions typically come from? A, a bunch of a bunch of people, twenty five to fifty dollars. Quite frankly, we, we're we've not we're very unorthodox. It, um, usually, there's a chain, and you get like six really big donations, and then everything trickles down. Um, people kind of scratch their head and and don't understand how we do things, but it's. Probably almost at about twenty thousand people have, have adopted from us in the in ten years, or a little over fourteen years, and so um, it's just a bunch of it's all part of the family. Everybody right. donates a little bit of money, and it adds up. So you don't have any like large foundations that that support you, or we have an anonymous donor that's matching every dollar that we raise. Great, that's huge. Um, but no, otherwise it's just um, mom and pop. How much longer is your campaign going for? Uh, until we raise all the money. Okay. We still have a, we, and the amazing thing is most people have not done naming rights. We have naming rights all over the place, but people are just giving the money and don't want their name on it. Interesting. So they don't want to have put their name on one of those little cottages, huh? Yeah, they can if they would like. But I mean, we yeah, we have benches, cottages, the training building, all kinds of space. That's very, very cool. That's very cool. Well, so let's get into what Hurricane Ian has done to you guys, because my goodness, you know, you you started this a few years back. You get hit by COVID, and then you have a big hurricane that comes through. In a normal, talk about in a normal week or normal month, what your, you know, I mean, what what, what your activities are, or or how many animals that you receive, and then then kind of tell us a little bit the additional pressure that Hurricane Ian has put on you guys? Well, we we seem to enjoy fire drills, so to speak. Large confiscation cases, we just kick it into second gear and go. Um, when we had the big Nate Ears case here in uh, Bradenton, we took 100 dogs in one day. What was, what was it, it, give our listeners background on that. What, what was that case? It was a rescue that was, was not being run correctly and the dogs and cats and animals were living in horrific conditions. Uh, so the county went in and um, shut them down and they didn't have room. So we, we took a hundred dogs in in one day. We just make it work. So that's the same thing with the hurricane. 
Luckily, we didn't have any damage uh, or limited damage. We lost a couple trees went down, a bunch of fencing went down, but overall, everything was fine. We didn't lose power. We didn't lose internet. So um, we were ready to step up the minute that Ian was gone and help the people that got damaged and got uh, in bad shape. So we had 27 dogs come in from the Orlando area. Um, those dogs have now subsequently, some are still here, but uh, a lot of them went off on an airplane to Michigan, um, coordinated by the HSUS. Um, it's a humane society of the United States. And, um, and then we got a, a call from Northport, somebody that when the levee broke or whatever that was, somebody's got flooded out. We got eight dogs from there. And, um, now we're just doing food drives, medical drives. We've donated a lot, almost all of our food and um, medical supplies and shipped them down to Port Charlotte. Uh, the Manatee County Animal Services came and took uh, 50 or 60 uh, crates uh, so they could uh, transport dogs out and help other people. And two, um, uh, pallet, not pallets, two trailers full of food to Mayaka. And then we've taken two or three um, truckloads of food and supplies down to Port Charlotte, and we're collecting more to send down there again. So is that your greatest need right now? Is is food or or volunteers or? Right. Well, so with our with our helping them out, it's the the people. I mean, imagine your house just got washed away; you'd have nothing but your animals and and the clothes on your back. So, um, yeah, we're we're doing we're collecting dry food, wet food, cat food, dog food, litter, everything. And as fast as we're unloading it there, there's lines of cars coming in and people are, are, are picking up the supplies. Where, where do people go to drop those off? Uh, they can dog bring food. them here to 4951 Lorraine Road. Okay. In Bradenton. And um, we have donation bins and we're just putting them right into, loading all of it right into the vans. And right. as soon as the van's full, we're, we're going on down there. So, so when you ship out a a dog, for example, or, or X number of animals and you ship them to mix Michigan or, or what are they going to other shelters or are they going to homes? Yeah, they go and they go into like a, um, a rescue shelter group in that, in that, um, city. It's, it's generally, we bring in 40 to 50, um, animals a week. Most shelters are used to them coming and going. It's just, um, I mean, you know, we have a great country. I mean, something happens in one spot, everybody everybody rushes. Like that, you see all those power people coming into town. It's incredible. Um, so, it's, so when there's a disaster in one area of the country, then everybody works together and and reallocates assets, so to speak, and sends them off to some place that didn't get damaged, so that people can move forward. So if if we get emptied out, then we can help everybody locally. So that's exactly. basically what we try to do. Right, right. Our animals out, you know, do BOGOs, adoptions, or cut the price on adoptions so we can get our animals out so we can go help the ones that are needing help. Right. I, and I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, now, my home wasn't damaged. And so, you know, I can I can sit here and not be be too worried about the future. But I was I was so it's so gratifying to see all the utility trucks that came from all these different states, all the help that we have gotten. And I've often thought, you know, if you're in a second or third world country, that support system is just not there and certainly would not be for animals. So it's just incredible what you what you guys are. So what you guys are doing. So tell us about volunteerism. What what um, what do you need in that area? 
Uh, yeah, we, we're pretty much a 90% run volunteer group. We're very, very lean and mean. Um, our budget's very low because of that. So we love our volunteers. There's a volunteer application on our website. Uh, and then you sign up for an orientation class. We come in and we go over everything. Um, we have kitchen and laundry. We have dog walking. We have cat care. Uh, it'll expand into more things once we're done with construction, but we're kind of holding things down. Um, and so, yeah, we can have anywhere from two to seven or eight um, dog walkers on a shift, which is great because then the dogs get out that much longer. Well, so do, do people ever take these animals home with them and, and house them for a period of time? Well, those are what we call foster failures. Okay. So uh, when the storm was coming, we got all but two of our dogs out into foster. And it's um, it's a really great thing because it, it, it alleviates our staff to be able to do other things and prepare for the hurricane in case we were going to get hit or be ready to help other people. And then um, it gives us intel. So we then find out a lot about the, the dogs, uh, about what they're like in a home, likes, dislikes, all that kind of stuff. And then on the other side, you also have the foster failures where they fall in love and adopt the dogs. So I think we had seven or eight uh, foster failures this time. So that's great. The dogs found their loving homes and aren't coming back. Well, let, let's talk about if somebody wants to adopt a cat or a dog, what is kind of the process they go through? You mentioned the application. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? They fill out an application. We get them approved, shoot them an email telling them they're approved. When they come here, um, we're open Wednesday through Saturday, 11 to 4. For adoptions, they walk into the front desk. They say, hi, I'm Julie Smith. Um, their name gets texted to the office. The office says, yep, they're approved. Uh, standard breed restrictions, nothing over 50 pounds, whatever the criteria is. We then tour them through and show them everything we have. Perfect fit for that family. And that dog, right. we, we want the we want the situation to work perfectly, and the dog never to come back. So you might think you want a puppy, but you're 79 years old, and you know you don't really want a puppy. So we we try to find the right match, and we talk to the people about it, and uh, hopefully find the right dog. And they leave about 15 minutes later with a bag of food and the dog. That sounds sound very streamlined. What on the flip side? What if you want to surrender an animal? What does that look like? There's a surrender application on our website. Um, right now, it's there, there's a there's a, we're getting a lot of surrender requests. So um, they have to supply pictures and vet records and tell us what's going on. And then um, if it's something we can take, they come in and we um, temperament test them when they come in to make sure that it's something we're comfortable putting into a home with kids or something. I mean, I have grandchildren. I don't want to be putting dogs that are not friendly out into the community. Right. Right. Well, Rob, I know that you're burning the uh, candle at both ends here. And so we're going to get you, get you off here. So what thoughts would you like to leave for our listeners uh, before I say goodbye? I mean, what, if somebody out there is listening to this podcast and they're thinking, you know, I want to check these guys out a little bit more. What's your recommendation? Well, you can, we have a, a a camera on our website where you can pan around and see the whole thing. You can see the dogs playing in the swimming pool that we have that was donated. Uh, that's awesome. The dogs love the swimming pool, uh, but it's never the same without feet on the ground. Uh, coming here and walking around, all of a sudden the light bulb will go out and you'll understand our cottage concept and how 
much the dogs love it and just the whole environment. So we'd recommend coming in um, anytime from 11 to 4 and getting a tour. Well, that's great. And if, if you need any more information, dear listeners, you could they can call 941-747-4900 or just simply email info at honoranimalrescue.org. And again, they're at 4951 Lorraine Road in Bradenton. And uh, Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate it. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping you guys are going to be able to hit that uh, capital uh, target that you have. And because once this thing is built out, it's certainly going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. We have, we have a great community. We'll get there. Good, it's good, good. All right, Rob, I appreciate you being on the show. And to our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. Hope to have you back someday soon, Rob. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.